you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. We are continuing a series that we began last week, wrapping around the celebration of divine mercy, which, of course, we all know we celebrated yesterday in the church, in addition to the canonization of two of our uh, best-known, best-loved popes, uh, certainly in the last century, that would be John the Twenty-Third and John Paul the uh, Second, and of course, John Paul the Second had a great deal to do with the uh, sort of uh, perpetuating of the Divine Mercy celebration. So we're going to talk about all of that a little bit today on the program. Uh, but before we do, I want to uh, say hi to my co-host, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you? Hi, Mark. I'm ha- happy to be here, rejoicing in this Easter season and praising God for these two great new saints of ours. It is is a blessing to the church. And you know what was amazing? I read so much of the uh, uh, news and uh, literature around the uh, canonization celebration yesterday and how the whole world's attention seemed to turn to Rome yesterday, didn't it? Yes. It was amazing what, of course, uh, everybody knows uh, John Paul II. He was uh, uh, f- famous for his world travels, and he was known certainly well beyond Catholic circles. But even John the Twenty-Third, who now I think we've been reintroduced to, and his message about, um, you know, opening up the church and, uh, you know, so much... Uh, uh, discussion around the emphasis of the Second Vatican Council. I don't want to go into the details of it, but certainly he was instrumental in in helping the Church uh, rearticulate, I think, its mission to the world and opening up uh, the Church to the world. Uh, certainly, in no way diminishing its beauty and the depth of its teaching, but but really opening um, the windows, as they said at the time, and and allowing the uh, the air. Uh, to blow through and for the world then to experience the gift that the Catholic Church is to uh, to everyone. So tonight I have a special prayer to begin with, and it is by St. Faustina, um, and it's entitled Prayer to be Merciful, but it's actually taken from her diary, which I highly recommend for everyone, uh, the diary of St. Faustina, uh, where the devotion of the Divine Mercy and that Divine Mercy celebration, all of that um, comes from there. Um, so th- this is very beautiful. So I ask you to, you know, just focus um, on your heart right now and look for God within you. Uh, get a little recollected here. Put your worries aside and let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the greatest of all divine attributes, that of your unfathomable mercy, pass through my heart and soul to my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances but always look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls and come to their rescue. Help me that my ears may be merciful so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful so that I should never speak negatively of others but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. Help me, O Lord, that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds, so that I may do only good to my neighbors and always try to take upon myself the more difficult and toilsome task. 
Help me, O Lord, that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming my own fatigue and weariness. My true rest is in the service of my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel all the sufferings of my neighbor. I will refuse my heart to no one. I will be sincere, even with those who I know will abuse my kindness. And I will lock myself up in the most merciful heart of Jesus. I will bear my own suffering in silence. May your mercy, O Lord, rest upon me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. A beautiful prayer. And, and again, from St. Faustina's uh, diary, we uh, we highly recommend, if you haven't exposed yourself to the writings of St. Faustina, it's a lengthy book. In fairness, I think uh, you know it's certainly not a, a short read, a brief read, but every single page of her diary is just filled with rich wisdom, Yes, uh, with the Lord speaking to her. Uh, and also with her own reflections. And we have to be reminded that St. Faustina was a very simple person. Uh, I think it's said she didn't have more than about a third-grade education. Uh, she came from um, you know, farming people, and she lived a very simple life. Uh, but interestingly, her convent, of course, was not far away from where uh, John Paul II, at that time Carol Wojtyla, uh, began his own uh, priestly studies. And uh, interestingly enough, he is the one who uh, brought this teaching to the fore, and of course the uh, the message is not missed that he was canonized on the on the celebration of well, the divine mercy. And I have to point out that if people remember, it was in April of two thousand, in the beginning of this century, mm-hmm. where he uh, Saint now John Paul II uh, canonized Saint Faustina. Right, and so she was the first canonized saint of the millennium. And then, of course, we know, you know, uh, St. John Paul also had his associations with that feast day by being canonized or beatified and now canonized and then dying on the vigil of the um, Divine Mercy Feast. So um, what a signature of God on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there is something very significant about the events of the last few days, and we want to sort of tie this together in the context of the message that Francis and I are focusing on both in our presentation, our conversation last week and this week as well. And that is this connection between John the 23rd, the Second Vatican Council, the uh, initiative to open the church to the world. And I want to read something from the back cover of the Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis's new book, uh, which is entitled, we mentioned this last week or in the last conversation, The Church of Mercy by Pope Francis, a vision for the church, he says. This is really, in fairness, as are many of the papal books, this is a collection of his homilies and papers and speeches uh, over the course of the first year of his papacy. Uh, But they do reflect collectively his vision for the church. And doesn't this sound very much, Francis, like the message of the Second Vatican Council? Pope Francis's deep wisdom reminds us that the church must move beyond its own walls and joyfully bring God's mercy wherever suffering, division, or injustice exists. And, of course, that reference joyfully bring God's uh, mercy means uh, or makes reference to his own encyclical, his first encyclical that he wrote himself 
in fairness, there was a, a one previously that was taken on by him from uh, Pope Benedict. But um, the joy of the gospel, uh, his first uh, full-length encyclical, is just about that message, the message of joy. And I tell you, there there isn't a time in history, certainly not that I've been exposed to. I, I grant you there have been difficult times in history. But if we look around the world and we see what's happening, most especially if we see what's happening in the trials within the human heart, this is a time where we need to hear this message of mercy. Absolutely. Oh, I thank God for this message of mercy and it being accentuated and um, that we're able to talk about it on the radio, on TVs and blogs. And um, I'm so happy because we need this. Uh, the uh, population are struggling. Uh, there's a lot of discouragement and despair. And we need to focus on the hope, the joy and when we do that, it, it's not that we know that God exists, but we know that he's a loving father. That is so critical. So, you know, that he's embracing us. He's with us. And like I was reading today, it was like, you know, these um, natural tragedies that are happening all over the world. I'm thinking today of some of the tornadoes that had come over the weekend and um, people had died. And yet others are reaching out. And the mercy of God lives on. Through the, the natural response of these these hearts that want to help. And so uh, I thank God for this. You know, we talked in our conversation last week, Francis, about um, this idea that the world needs God. That was in our notes. It was in our conversation. And we build a case for that reality. The world needs God. It's not, however, just that the world needs God. But the world needs a merciful God, yes. right? That God of justice that we know and we accept is part of our experience of our encounter with the living God <laughs> is a reality. But we need to know that there is a merciful God. Otherwise, as we said in our conversation last week, evil wins, strength wins, power wins, deception wins. If there isn't an ultimate, uh, um, you know, sort of force of mercy in our world, it can lead to discouragement. It can lead to despair. Now, I want to take this one moment to do a sidebar on a sort of a philosophical perspective on this. And it comes from the other book that we talked about last week. And I'll accept uh, that for many, this may be a, a bit on the academic side. It's written by Cardinal Walter Casper. It is entitled simply Mercy. The subtitle is The Essence of the Gospel and the Key to Christian Life. And I cite the book because Pope Francis himself, on the front cover of the English edition, says, This book has done me so much good. <laughs> I like that. And one of the key themes that uh, Cardinal Casper uh, focuses on is the history of the theology of God and what is called natural theology and what are known as the attributes of God. And we know, for example, that God is omnipresent, meaning he's present everywhere in our world and in the universe. We know that he's omnipotent, which mm -hmm. means he's all-powerful. Mm -hmm. We know that he's immutable, which means that he is unchanging. Mm -hmm. We know that he's uncreated. He has always existed and he will always exist. These are attributes of God that we can understand intellectually and we can grasp them. For, uh, Cardinal Casper's message, however, and his argument is, with all of that, 
we somehow seem to have lost the key attribute of God, which is that God is all merciful. And I think St. Therese Littleflower nailed that. So I don't think Cardinal Casper is the first one to, to say that. I, I think he is. No, uh, I agree. I agree. I think his argument simply is with our philosophy and our theology and our dogma and doctrine, and in no way are we diminishing the importance of the church's teaching on any of our key fundamental principles. But the Holy Father is saying something very important right now, without in any way diminishing the message of the truth of our teaching, dogma and doctrine and those principles that are so uh, fundamental and foundational to our faith. He is at the same time saying, We have communicated our truth to the world. Now we must communicate God's mercy to the world. And this is God's number one attribute. We need to be embracing a world that is hurting, that is suffering, that is looking uh, for guidance and direction, is looking for the truth, but is hoping to hear that message in a way that it is ready to receive it. And again, in no way are we suggesting we diminish the foundational principles and teachings of our church, but we have to communicate them in a way that people will respond to them. And they respond to them first and foremost by our introducing them to the person of Jesus Christ. Because Christ can communicate that message. This is how Christ spoke, right? Finding the woman in adultery about to be stoned. What is Christ's message? He who is without sin cast that first stone. Now, in fairness to the woman, he then said, after uh, speaking with her, he said, go and sin no more. He was not mixing messages. He was very clear in what he wanted to communicate. And we know that the truth of the church's teaching on the commandments and our our foundational principles about the interaction of human sexuality and social justice and the human person are foundational not just for freedom but are foundational for our happiness right but they must be communicated along with a message of mercy you know i want to cite francis just quickly uh one of the harsh realities of the society that we live in and the reason why we're so focused on this message of mercy and quite frankly the reason i wish we had seen in more churches across the country this uh, um, uh, past sunday yesterday uh, for us um, a celebration of divine mercy it was it was um, uh, too few i think the churches that that participated in that uh, yeah i think when when everybody <clears throat> understands the um the the immenseness of this gift, uh, I think that then we'll see far more celebrations. And I think there were more this year than in the past. But, you know, why every church is not just billowing this from the rooftops for every soul? Um, I, I can only think it's because they have not understood. And then I say, thank you, God, for praying. Um, thank you, Jesus, for saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Yeah. So um, he's well, a merciful father. So uh, he's going to get the message out there. <laughs> One of the things we talked about last week, um, and we'll pick up on this theme, is this idea of the evil of sin. Yes. The reality of the evil that sin has brought into our world and the consequences, both from a societal level and on an individual level. The most egregious consequence, of course, um, is is that um, of suicide. And Albert Camus said, uh, interestingly, the only philosophical question worth considering is suicide. What he was saying is that the most fundamental issue is life. And when we reach a point where we 
for all intents and purposes, have lost hope. Um, we open up the possibility that we will take the most precious gift that we've been given by our Creator, and that is our life, which has never mm. been ours, by the way. It's it's God's gift to us. So we have no right to take it, but unfortunately, statistics regarding this issue, uh, according to a study done by the Centers of Disease Control, are not encouraging. Mm. From 1999 to 2000, 10, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64 rose by nearly 30% to 17.6 deaths per 100,000 people. That's up 13.7% uh, in that age group. And of course, veterans are, are military veterans who deserve the very best that society can give them are killing themselves at more than double the rate of the civilian population. These are frightening statistics, Francis, and they suggest the absence of the virtue of hope uh, across much of our society. And this is where God's infinite mercy comes in, because God's infinite mercy is the remedy for this greatest of evils, which is sin. So when we understand this great compassion and this stooping down of God the Father over each and every one of us 24-7, then I think um, we will have conquered. But I, I think people still uh, are, are pondering, you know, whether he exists. They're not paying attention to him. They're, you know, if you're not praying, you're not going to see his actions so well. You know, so, you know, prayer is to your soul what air is to your lungs. So if you want to be able to see more clearly, then we need to be praying more deeply, more frequently, just live the life of prayer. And so... Um, we, we know that this gift is here, but, you know, we need to talk a little bit about it. So we know that, uh, Jesus was sent to, um, redeem us and, uh, obtain salvation for us. So he, by the shedding of his blood, has paid all the debts, uh, of sin. Everything that we owe has already been paid, but we're not embracing it. We're not calling on that divine power, that divine gift. Um, so, you know, people think, well, you know, how could he care about me? But, you know, God's mercy is so great. It is infinite. There's no limit. Um, there's no limit from him. It's it's us that limit him. Um, you know, if we think of the lost sheep, we think of Mary Magdalene, you think of the good thief. Who stole heaven? <laughs> um, God's infinite mercy is available to all of us, and you know we say, "Well, okay, well, what's the measure of God's mercy?" Well, there's two scripture passages: Luke six thirty six. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So if we want to receive mercy, we should also be merciful to others. And then Matthew 7, 2, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And this reminds me of in the Our Father prayer. Um, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So um, the thing that holds us up is ourself. We're not seeking God's mercy because either we believe we're not worthy which we're not, <laughs> but that's part of what makes it mercy, right? <laughs> we don't deserve it, but because of God's justice, because he knows we're weak and we're um, frail and we're poor, he wants to help us. But if we don't reach out and ask him, um, then we're stuck. So I, I sit there and I say, okay, well, what, what actually is it that stops God's mercy? And the simple answer is pride. Pride. And 
Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, who wrote the book Divine Intimacy, he said this, and I thought it was so profound. He said, God's mercy is so immense that no misery, however great, can exhaust it. So did you get that? His mercy is so immense that no misery, however great, can exhaust it. Not even the most infamous sin, provided it is repented of, can halt it. So that's the the if clause, provided it is repented of. So we have to be sorry for our, our sin. This sad power is reserved to one thing only. And what he's saying is the, the power to refuse mercy is reserved to one thing, and that is the proud will of man by which he disdainfully shuts himself up in his wickedness, not wishing to admit how great is his need of God's infinite mercy. So basically saying, I don't need your help, I don't want your help, and therefore you're going to put yourself in the worst place possible. And we do that, to be fair, Francis. I suspect there aren't many listening to us who would blatantly uh, sort of adopt that attitude that says, ah, I don't need God. I think if you're listening to Carmelite conversations, maybe you at least have a suspicion that um, there's a role for God in my life. But we do this in subtle ways. We do it in very uh, almost blind to ourselves. Uh, we, we do it in ways by expecting things of God and then perhaps becoming frustrated if his will is not our will, right? If it doesn't go our way according to our plans. Yeah, you know, I read something earlier today that talked about how uh, so much of our problems stem from the fact that we try to humanize God rather than working to divinize ourselves. Mm -hmm. God's always working to divinize us, to, to bring us into his divine experience, right? But we're sort of working in the other uh, direction mm-hmm. of trying to humanize God, and we project our own image onto him. We put our own limitations on him. Again, I go back to omnipresent. Um, he, he is immutable. He is all-powerful. He is uh, unchangeable. And yet with all of that, we try to put him in a box you know we try to define how we think god is working in the circumstances of our life through our own perception of that and that's when we limit him and this is what causes us sometimes to withdraw from god's mercy either through direct uh you know violation and sin or perhaps uh um, by becoming indifferent to god in Mm -hmm. our life and we just sort of put him on a shelf and say well i'll get back to that when i need to right and it's the same thing though it is this perception that uh, we can sort of run our own lives and god slowly and carefully but deliberately will try to disabuse us of that misperception that we are in fact in control of our lives and one of the ways he does that is reaching out with mercy well one of the things we can do then is simply say i'm sorry uh, we need to repent. You know, John the Baptist preached that message of repentance. So we need to say, I'm sorry. And then we recognize that we are poor. And so we say, help. So you say, I'm sorry. Help. And you look at God. <laughs> Have mercy. Okay. God wants to help us. But do we want to be helped? If we want to be helped, to whom shall we go? Who has the infinite power here? Who has the compassionate love? It is God. So turn to him. But some say, oh, I'm too much of a sinner. He, he won't pay attention to me. We're not worthy. Well, okay, we're all sinners. None of us are worthy. 
So, okay, well, how can we receive this mercy, mercy if we see ourselves as this terrible sinner? Well, you know, God does not require us to be sinless in order to receive his mercy. He only requires us to be merciful and humble. You know, say, I messed up. I'm sorry. None of us are worthy, but God's love and mercy are infinite. And so to be a sinner by itself is not enough to attract the mercy. We must also humbly acknowledge our sins. So we we see that we're in sin and then we say, I'm sorry. All right. And turn to God, as Therese would say, in complete confidence and surrender it all. She says, and I quote, from one of her letters, what pleases God is to see me love my littleness and poverty. It is the blind hope I have in his mercy. This is my soul treasure. So by means of humility, okay, the I'm sorry, the poverty, I need your help and confidence looking to God. In his mercy, we shall obtain divine mercy. So humility, poverty, and confidence, simple. I'm sorry, I need help. Lord, have mercy on me. And you know, Paul tells us, just before we take the break here that we're coming up on, Paul reminds us in in Ephesians, we're not to have anxiety. We're not to have fear. We're not to be discouraged. Now, this is a tough message in and of itself. Wait a minute. I'm never to be discouraged. I'm not to have fears and doubts and anxieties. No, we're not. When we have those, we have, in effect, absolved uh, ourselves of this confidence in God's mercy. We've taken it back on ourselves. We said, well, I, I didn't do that right, or I'm failing at this, or I'm not, you know, experiencing, uh, God's strength and power. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be times when we may feel an absence of God, but faith and most especially the virtue of hope yes. remind us that God is still there. He may be working on us, but he's still there. And to the degree that we experience a discouragement, a, a uh, fear, a doubt and anxiety, We've taken back on ourselves the control of our own circumstances and believed that we are in some way responsible for the outcome when, in fact, it's God. And we are going to have those emotions come in us. So what we do with that fear, with that anxiety or that discouragement, that's what's key here. And it's turn it over to God. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about this idea of uh, self-sufficiency and the danger of self-sufficiency. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. And embrace my love divine It's you I love It's you I love My heart I give to you All that I am And all that I have I promise it to you
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're continuing a two-part series on the gift of mercy. Uh, And I think this is so timely, Francis, as we've discussed. We've just celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday. Uh, We've just canonized two popes who uh, made mercy a central theme in their papacy. And, of course, our own Holy Father, Francis, uh, Pope Francis, has continued this theme of mercy in his own papacy by talking about the Church's need now to reach out to the world with mercy. I don't want to suggest, and I know the Holy Father wouldn't suggest for a minute, that the Church hasn't always continued this message of mercy. Right. Uh, but I think what he's seeing, and certainly he is uh, of Latin American uh, origin and descent. He he lives, um, has lived for much of his life in, in a part of the world that, frankly, has seen uh, the loss uh, of uh, the position of the Catholic Church and many uh, folks moving to evangelical uh, uh, denominations and so forth. Um, and I think he's concerned that uh, in some ways we have uh, diminished the mer- the message of mercy in favor of the message of justice. Mm-hmm. And certainly we, we serve a just God, but it's God's justice. It's not a ruling, dictatorial, uh, punishment-oriented justice. It's God's justice, which in and of itself is merciful. But I think the Holy Father is saying... We need to reinvigorate a message of mercy uh, for for the church. And most especially, he's saying this in the context of the new evangelization. He's picking up the theme, uh, both, I would argue, from John the 23rd, but most uh, recently from John Paul II, regarding the new evangelization and the need uh, for mercy and hope to be central themes within that message. So before the break, we were beginning this topic of the problem of self-sufficiency, the let me do it, do it my way, <laughs> I want it all. <laughs> um, we want to be the strong one. Um, but you know, in a heartbeat, uh, the gifts that God gives us can be taken away because they are gifts. Or through natural situations, we may lose our health, whatever. But the thing is here is that we all make mistakes. We all mess up. Um, and we all can improve in this area, I think. And Therese even made a comment about this, that 
I think we can all relate to. She said, the remembrance of my faults humiliates me. And I'm like, yep, I got that one. <laughs> all right. The remembrance of my faults humiliates me. Yeah, and I remember the scripture passage. Um, my sin goes before me always. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're supposed to forgive ourselves. And, and yet, you know, the memory is still there unless your memory is purified. Um, but anyway, and, and we do, we want to forgive ourselves, but, but she can identify with us. She says, the remembrance of my faults humiliates me, leads me never to rely on my strength, which is only weakness. So when she sees that she's messed up, um, she immediately runs to God because she's like, well, I'm just little. No wonder I've messed up. But now that the light has shined on my weakness, then the power of God, by looking at him and looking up and, you know, begging, you know, just like the little kid with the arms raised up and say, pick me up, mommy, you know, (laughs) and mommies usually do pick them up when they reach up like that. So um, looking to God, then he comes because he bends down, he stoops down with his great compassion, and he wants to lift us up. So, you know, Therese can help us. And of course, that reminds us, and I, I want um, Mark to comment on this because I've heard you comment on St. Paul's um, quote um, from 2 Corinthians before. Well, that quote from St. Therese actually also reminds me of the story that we've talked about many times uh, from St. Catherine of Siena, whose feast we will celebrate, I think, tomorrow, oh, if I'm not mistaken. Wonderful. Um, and she was attacked uh, by the arch enemy, the devil, who said to her, oh, Catherine, your devotions, your your prayer, your constancy, you're such a good person. And she said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not a good person. Um, you know, I, I look at the faults I have. Um, look, look at the, the, the thoughts that I have. Look at my weakness in my devotions and so on and so forth. Uh, and this was her defense, defend off the devil's um, attempt to instill pride. And the devil said, you know what? You're right. You are a terrible person. Look how awful you are. Look at the terrible things you've done. You know, it's all just a show and a mask and blah, blah, blah. And as she said, yes, isn't it great that God is overwhelming mercy? <laughs> and of course, the devil went away in total frustration and anger because he realized that Catherine had the magic formula, which is a, such a simple formula. The recognition, as St. Therese tells us, of our humility. Uh, humility, our acceptance of our condition, our dependency on a great uh, and merciful God, and the realization that God will always be there in our weakness. And so what does St. Paul have to say about this? Well, from Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. This is Paul struggling now and asking God to relieve him of a suffering, of a trial, of a tribulation uh, that Paul was going through. We don't know uh, from scripture exactly what that trial was it's been speculated we can uh, fill it in the blank with ours yeah, fill it in <laughs> right? with yours that's right fill it in with your favorite trial we've all got one <laughs> yeah. my grace uh, is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness oh, now, i have that, pondered that many yeah, many a it's day it's worth pondering it does not say my power is made easier my power is you know a good support and we no it says my power is perfected in your weakness. And we human beings, especially we Americans, I think this is true, don't 
come to grips with that statement very easily. Right. My power is perfected in weakness. What does that mean? It is an acknowledgement that God is all-powerful, all-merciful, and we are his creatures. We are dependent on him. Does this mean we're not uh, loved, that we're not cared for, that we are not um, a part of his plan, that we don't have a role to pay, play in his plan of perfection? No, we have a central role to play. We are certainly loved. We are cared for. But in our weakness, God's uh, as Francis said, stoops down and picks us up like his little children. We have to be willing, as St. Therese is the master in teaching us, to be those little children. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore, I rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults and distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong, strong in Christ's strength. And that was Paul's great strength in communicating uh, his own weakness. This is a man, obviously, who had suffered uh, from the moment of his conversion, um, you know, being uh, blinded temporarily and uh, having to be very dependent on the people that were around him, the people that the Lord had brought into his life. Uh, but that weakness led to the strength of one of the greatest apostles, of course, in the history of the church, if not the greatest. And I know there's much, much more that we could uh, talk about on that, but we're going to move on a little bit because I want to share what Therese continues about these faults. She says, but this remembrance, and she's speaking of her faults, but this remembrance, O Lord, speaks to me still more of your mercy and your love. How could my sins fail to be consumed completely if I cast them with holy filial confidence into the burning furnace of your love. That is a great confidence statement. She's like, you know, just saying, okay, she knows she has these faults, so she's just going to cast them into the burning furnace of God's love, and they're going to be all taken care of because she's so confident of his love and mercy. That's what I challenge all of our listeners, that kind of confidence in God's mercy. You know, this is what John the 23rd referred to as the medicine of mercy. I had never heard that before. Yeah, medicine it's actually of mercy. From I like the, that. The book uh, from uh, Cardinal Casper's book. And yes, we have to come to understand our sinful nature. That's that's part of our uh, walk. That's part of our perfection. That is what the church is teaching is all about why the church has moral theologians why the church teaches us about uh, the commandments and and proper conduct and how to conduct our lives how we are to engage with other human persons these experiences that we have in life are designed to teach us about our need for god's mercy it doesn't make us anything other than human uh, to have our deficiencies to have a predisposition uh, towards sin we do we're we're uh, unfortunately infected with that first uh, consequence of sin. And we all experience it, not, by the way, so that we can be told how terrible we are, right. but so that we can participate, as John the Twenty Third said, in applying the medicine of mercy. You can't be healed if you're sick, if you don't take the proper medication or if you don't, mm -hmm. you know, take care of uh, of the condition, maybe without uh, the need of medicine. But something has to be done. Some change has to occur uh, to improve your physical condition. Our spiritual condition is no different. We have acquired a sickness. That sickness is our uh, predisposition to sin. And we unfortunately occasionally engage that uh, predisposition. And so we've uh, aggravated or deepened the sickness, the wound, and there's medicine available to us. That medicine 
is God's mercy. All we have to do is ask for it, yeah. Francis. And we won't ask for it, of course, as you said, if we don't first acknowledge, if we don't accept, if we don't desire God's mercy. You know, one of the messages, uh, difficult as it might be, of Divine Mercy Sunday and of St. Faustina is that if we don't seek God's mercy, if we don't ask for God's mercy in the uh, event that I attended yesterday, which was beautiful at a local church here, uh, the uh, uh, the deacon actually was speaking and he said, um, you know, that this time for mercy, uh, we can well imagine, is not forever, right? right? Um, I, I forget exactly the quote by St. Augustine, but something to the effect that God has promised you uh, forgiveness for your uh, penance. He has not promised time for your procrastination. So let's be careful about how much <laughs> time point. we think we might have. Uh, but the point is, this time of mercy is now. I mean, yes. Faustina wrote, of course, uh, in, in the 30s, and the message has only recently been perpetuated. But um, this time of mercy is now. It is not forever. And we have to accept that message of mercy Oh, we have to accept a God of justice. Yeah. And that reminds me of the story with Sister Fabronia that we spoke of last week. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there are some listeners out there that have a lot of scruples. And Therese went through a period of scruples. Uh, the little flower knew all about this. And, and so I, I proposed this question that some of you might be saying, well, what if we had all the sins of the world on our soul? And so Therese can identify with you. She says this, Oh, Lord. Even if I had committed every possible crime, my confidence would remain unshaken, for I should then feel, after sincerely repenting of them, that all the multitude of my offenses would vanish as a drop of water in a fiery furnace. And she continues, O Jesus, would that I could tell all little souls, that's us, right? Would that I could tell all little souls of your ineffable condescension. I feel that if, by any impossibility, you could find a soul weaker than mine, I believe that you would take delight in showering upon it still greater favors if, and here's the if, if it abandoned itself with perfect trust to your infinite mercy. You know, I've often heard it said, and I love this statement from St. Therese, if you could find another soul, uh, how exactly, ineffable condescension, you could find another soul weaker than mine. Now, we're talking not only about a saint, but a doctor of the church uh, in her own right, a master of prayer, a master of the spiritual life, um, the one who gave us the gift of spiritual childhood. Um, And yet she's saying, if you could find a soul weaker than my own. And so often you'll hear people say, well, that's a saint. Obviously she, she's a saint. This isn't true. She's not really that weak. You know, she's a wonderful person. Look at the strength of a saint Therese. The fact of the matter is it's the saints who recognize their weakness and their dependence. That's the power. And, and because she recognized her weakness, the power of God worked in her. And that's why she is a saint and a doctor of the church. You will hear this theme consistently. You'll you'll never hear a saint say, oh, no, no, I did it under my own power and I brought about my own salvation. Certainly you'll never hear that. Uh, But more often than not, you'll hear very clearly this theme. It is my weakness. It is my dependency. It is my need for God's mercy that is working through me. You know, I heard somebody uh, actually was Cardinal Dolan in a a conversation. I 
I just remembered, Cardinal Dolan, in a conversation just prior to the canonization that occurred on Sunday, was being interviewed. He was still in the States before he'd gone over uh, to Rome, and he was being interviewed about the canonization, about his own experiences with John Paul II. I don't believe he'd ever met John the Twenty Third, but uh, he was reflecting on these encounters, and he said, you know, it's very important that the Church acknowledge and understand it is not what an individual did in their life or their uh, uh, activities or accomplishments that allows them to be elevated to the status of sainthood canonization in the church. It is what God did through them that elevates a, a person to the status of sainthood, someone who we look at for heroic virtue, the practice of heroic virtue. But that only comes about if we dispose ourselves to God's mercy and to his working his will through us. It isn't that we champion our own cause, if you will, uh, towards sainthood. In fact, more often than not, those individuals will find themselves very discouraged at some point along the spiritual journey. It is the smallness, the simplicity, the, the abandonment and giving ourselves over consistently that allows God to work through people that ultimately results in their being identified with the gift of heroic virtue and canonization as saints. And we can all be confident in this mercy of God. We, we can be confident because we have uh, examples in Scripture. Uh, we've got the Good Shepherd looking for the lost sheep, Jesus coming down from heaven in search of our poor human souls lost in these dark caves of sin, rescuing us, bringing us back to the sheepfold, and not hesitating to undergo the greatest sufferings and even death on the cross. This was the love story of Jesus for us. And then, of course, we've got the account of the prodigal son. We've got the story of the missing drachma, the missing coin. And so all these stories help us to um, understand why we can have this confidence in, in God. And, you know, as it said, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just. And why is that? Because they've come home. And we're, what a glory that gives to God when after all these falls, it comes back repentant and confident. Yes, we all will celebrate that. And, you know, this is our everyday story. We all do this. Um, we, re- we make resolutions and we resolve that we're going to, you know, hold back that nasty word or that uh, terrible glance or we're, we're going to be more charitable or, you know, uh, we're not going to be arrogant <laughs> or we're not going to take credit for something or we're going to try to hide, you know, and then we mess up and, and we did just the thing we didn't want to do. You know, St. Paul talks about that. But Therese tells us Jesus thrills with joy when humbly acknowledging our fault. And then we come and fling ourselves into his arms, imploring forgiveness. Then he loves us even more tenderly than before we fell. You know, one of the things, Francis, we've spent a lot of time in the conversation today talking about how we need to acknowledge our faults. We need to seek repentance. We need to ask for God's mercy if we're going to be filled with his mercy. And then Uh, We're going to talk here in just a moment about how we manifest that mercy to others. That's what the message, I think, of the Holy Father is. But what we forget, and you've talked about it here, this need for uh, or or the acknowledgement that heaven will will be uh, more joyful over the one soul that turns back or the Lord thrilling over the fact that we humbly acknowledge. At the same time that we seem to fail to acknowledge our own need for mercy, we forget the beauty of the human soul. 
and the value of every individual human soul. It is said that Christ would go through the crucifixion again if it were only for one soul. And I believe that is true because of the value and the beauty of every individual human soul. And so when we seek God, it is not uh, insignificant that we make this conversion, that we turn back, that we um, implore his mercy, and we become then uh, a, a means and a manifestation of that mercy being shared throughout the world. Now, I have one more quote here about Therese um, that's a little long. Actually, we have several more, but I, this one is a little bit longer, um, you know, precisely because God is just. He's also compassionate. And St. Therese tells us, I quote, Oh, God, you have manifested to me your infinite mercy. And in this resplendent mirror, I contemplate your other attributes. There, each appears radiant with love. Your justice, perhaps more than the rest. What a sweet joy, O Lord, to think that you are just, that you take into account our weakness and know so well the frailty of our nature. What then need I fear? You, the God of infinite justice, who deigned to pardon lovingly the sins of the prodigal son, will you not also be just to me who am always with you? I know that one must be most pure to appear before you, the God of all holiness. But I know, too, that you are infinitely just. Now, here's the clincher, okay? And it is this justice which terrifies so many souls that is the basis of my joy and trust. Oh, Lord, I hope as much from your justice as from your mercy. Precisely because you are just, you are compassionate and merciful, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. And that leads us to the famous um, scripture passage, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust. As a father has compassion on his children, so has the Lord compassion on us. Yeah, and we can't forget uh, this message of humility, this need for us to, uh, as you talked about earlier, Francis, pride is our number one uh, restriction here. And pride is also what tends to cause us uh, problems when it comes to then being a vehicle and a medium of that mercy to others. Now, there's some practical suggestions I want us to just touch on, uh, because I think it's important every time we sort of reflect on um, the need for uh, new thinking about uh, our faith and the way that we go about improving our understanding, in this case, our relationship with the Lord, our acknowledgement of our need for his mercy. Let's have some practical steps that we can engage in on a daily basis that, one, dispose us, and two, uh, allow us to draw from the fount of mercy and the uh, graces that are available to us uh, to grow ever deeper in this understanding of God's mercy. What are some practical suggestions that you would offer? All right, I have a little, uh, a list of, I think, ten items here. Number one, God is rich in mercy, so ponder God's mercy. Uh, go into scripture passages and read about his mercy and ponder what it is saying to you. Uh, I know Fulton Sheen said, uh, and the thief died a thief because he stole heaven. Wasn't that a merciful thing? Um, number two, we must be merciful. So if we want to receive mercy, we also in turn must be merciful to others. And one of the ways we can do that very easily is to forgive others. Uh, so think about who you need to forgive. Um, three, 
go to confession because that is the sacrament of mercy and the divine life will flow abundantly in you through confession. Um, four, uh, pray especially at the hour of mercy, which is at 3 p.m., mm-hmm. and that is because that is the hour that Christ died. So at the 3 o'clock hour, whether it's a.m. or p.m. or p.m., that's right. A.m. <laughs> can actually be very merciful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, five, pray the chaplet of divine mercy. It is, it's short, but it's powerful. In fact, somebody taught me, uh, my good friend in Oklahoma taught me that if you pray that chaplet of divine mercy when you're driving in a really bad storm, it'll make it stop. <laughs> and you know what? I was with her one day and she says, let's pray the chaplet. And we did. And it stopped. <laughs> I was like, man, our Lord's really hearing her prayers. <laughs> um, six is the novena of divine mercy. And that is the one that started on Good Friday and went through Easter. But you know, you can do that novena anytime. Uh, seven, practice daily acts of mercy, uh, whether they're the corporal works of mercy, feeding the hungry, giving drink, clothing the naked, or spiritual works of mercy through counsel and comfort. Uh, seven, oh, that's what I just said. Eight, um, look at the image of Jesus in the divine mercy image with the rays of the red and and the white representing the blood and the water and ponder that message. Uh, nine, uh, of course, celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, which happened yesterday. And then number 10 is um, the promise to uh, receive confession and communion on that day um, so that uh, as you uh, in immerse yourself in God's mercy, you become a vehicle of mercy to others. And that leads to uh, be a, an apostle of divine mercy. And then ask our Blessed Mother to help you be merciful. You know, that was an emphasis throughout the um, the day yesterday, Divine Mercy Sunday, and the canonization of both John the 23rd and, uh, of course, John Paul II. Each of the four popes who were um, you know, acknowledge that day. Pope Francis, of course, Pope, Pope Benedict <coughs> Emeritus, Pope Emeritus was in attendance, uh, and the two popes being canonized all had great devotion to the Blessed Mother. Yes. That's a central theme that runs throughout this message of mercy is devotion to our Blessed Mother. She is an instrument of mercy. And speaking of true devotion to the Blessed Mother, guess whose feast day it is today? Uh, Louis de Montfort. Yes, who wrote that book on true devotion to Mary. Yeah. And so uh, thank you, God, for that wonderful thing. I think thing. we've done a program on that, if I'm not mistaken. I don't if we think haven't, we have. maybe we ought to pick that up and uh, come back so. with it at some point. I don't point. think we but, have. So, uh, My last comment on this, before we end in prayer, as we always do, I just want to reemphasize this message of mercy is so pertinent to today and what our Holy Father is trying to communicate about the direction of the church and the church's role in our society. We have to adopt this message of mercy. It must become a central theme to the new evangelization. We need to be a church with a big tent that reaches out and embraces, as we discussed at the beginning of the program, the inevitable suffering and consternation and confusion on the part of so many uh, about the circumstances that we live in. Again, uh, the circumstances exteriorly are not new. It is the attack on the human heart and the soul uh, that is left so often in confusion in these unfortunate statistics that we cited regarding uh, people who are taking their own lives are uh, uh, one of the very sad manifestations of the loss of hope. And we said at the very beginning, hope is dependent on the reality 
of the existence of a God who is all-merciful. We do serve a merciful God, and we must seek that mercy. Francis, would you close us in prayer? In fact, I picked this prayer, Hail Holy Queen, because twice in this prayer uh, it speaks of mercy. So when we get to that part in the prayer, you know, um, really focus on, on God's great gift to us with his infinite mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, O most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're back again next week, God bless. to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations 